Hello, Bible Love listeners. Here we are again. It is Thursday, April 22nd, and it is Earth Day. So we thought today we would do the prayer for joy in God's creation, which is found on page 814 of the Book of Common Prayer. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Oh, Heavenly Father, who has filled the world with beauty, Open our eyes to behold thy gracious hand and all thy works, that rejoicing in thy whole creation, we may learn to serve thee with gladness. For the sake of him through whom all things were made, thy son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. One quick thing about Earth Day before we get started. One thing we've asked our parishioners to do here at Church of the Resurrection, and I wonder if some of our listeners would do this too. At seven o'clock tonight, turn off all your electricity, turn off all your um, phones, internet, all of that. And for 30 minutes, sit and pray and think about God's creation. And let's see if we can make a little bit of a difference. So maybe some of our listeners will do that tonight too. So tonight at seven o'clock, if you happen to listen, to the podcast on April 22nd, or if you listen to it on another day, you can do it any night. Take 30 minutes with no um, electricity and see what a difference it makes in your life. I think that's a great idea. So what are we talking about today? We are picking up in Leviticus 1, where uh, the goal is... um, get through Leviticus 1 through 7, not get through, that makes it sound like a chore, but uh, to discuss Leviticus 1 through 7, they're all kind of connected. There's a lot of repetition as we'll get into. These are talking about um, the offerings that the Lord requires. And first off, if you didn't listen to last week, listeners, um, you should pause this right now. Go find last week's episode with David Barr from St. George's in Nashville. Um, he kind of gave us an overview and we talked about the whole scope of Leviticus and its place in scripture and its place in our tradition. And so listen to that first and then come right back here. And then we're going to start a deep dive. So. Um- I wanted to share one um, thing that may be helpful to people and that we are using um, now to sort of schedule things is how to read the Bible book by book by Gordon B. If we want to put that in the show notes, it really um, divides each book of the Bible in a way that's a little bit more readable. Like it's hard to sit down and read the book of Leviticus for 23 chapters. Um, You know, I, I really had a hard time doing that. So it helped. I, I did it the way Gordon um, did it. And that helped me in a process of five or six days read the entire book. So that might be interesting to people if they need it. So let's start with chapter one, instructions for the five offerings. Um, that's the first walk of Leviticus that we have. Sure. So I'm reading from the New International Version. Uh, The heading here is Instructions for the Offerings, the Burnt Offering. Verse 1, The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. 
He said, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when any of you bring an offering to the Lord, bring as your offering an animal from either the herd or the flock. If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he is to offer a male without defect. You must present it at the entrance to the tent of meeting so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. He is to lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. He is to slaughter the young bull before the Lord, and then Aaron's sons, the priest, shall bring the blood and sprinkle it against the altar on all sides at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priest, are to put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. Then Aaron's sons, the priest, shall arrange the pieces, including the head and the fat, on the burning wood that is on the altar. He is to wash the inner parts and the legs with water, and the priest is to burn all of it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. So that would be a pretty exciting offertory if we tried that today. It's <laughs> so true. You know, the first thing that stands out in my mind is Moses and Aaron are still very much a part of the story in Leviticus. It doesn't just, it's not like Exodus and then Moses goes away. Maybe other people know that, but I think that's important to say. They are still very much a part of the, of the, of the story. And also what David was talking about last week with the sacrificial part of Leviticus, I mean, it starts off right here in the beginning, right, um, of the atonement. And um, I, the word atonement is used, I don't know if your version had that, but it was used in my version. In, in um, verse 4, you shall lay your head on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be acceptable in your behalf as atonement for you. Um, and so this, the sacrifice and the atonement um, language that David was talking about like last week is present right here at the beginning. And then we get to burn a bunch of stuff, right? Yeah, you have to essentially field dress this bull and then um, the priest, Aaron's sons, um, who are Levites. That's where the name of this book comes from, is Levites. This is an instruction manual, essentially. If Exodus was the narrative following the people of God, then we get to where God is giving the instructions to Moses. So all these Levite priest, Aaron's sons, they have to arrange these things and make a, a, a bonfire essentially on this altar and set it on fire. And yeah. it's, it's really explicit. The rest of, of chapter one, we don't need to read it, has to do if it's a, a bird, if it's from the flock. So the options here are a bull or um, it just says from the flock. I don't um, either from the sheep or the goats. Yeah. And so. Um, there's some options here, which I think, right, like not maybe not everyone could afford a bull. And so even here, God is making provision for those who who are under resourced potentially. And I think, you know, I think, you know, I'm not wealthy. And so I think some people, their giving is transformative. You know, you hear about people who give millions of dollars to a university or people who give millions of dollars to whatever Bill Gates and his work in AIDS in Africa, like that is changing worlds. Right. And so what is my 50 bucks going to do? Mm -hmm. And in here, um, I think God is saying it's, it's not the thing. Right. It's not whether it's a bull or whether it's a sheep or what you can afford. It's the act. It's the offering itself. 
That's so true. And I mean, it makes me think of God's graciousness in that. And also like when we're thinking about stewardship, like how it goes back to here. And when I'm talking to my parishioners, you know, even if it is $50 and you think it's only $50, it's not the $50. It's the act of doing this and glorifying God. And that's exactly what God is saying here. It's not the bull. It's that you are sacrificing something and that might be your best sheep your best bull, your best bird, a stone, a rock, whatever it is, it is that you are saying, I will live without this so that I can glorify God. And if that's bucks or if that's a million bucks, I'm going to live without this to glorify God. And I think what you said, I mean, scripture says without blemish, I think when it describes these animals. And so it can't be right. Like the three legged goat you have, that's no good to anyone best one it has to be the best because no matter what it is right if it's if it's a twenty dollar bill and that's substantial to you that is sacrificial and that is honoring to god and and right like when we look at i think first before we make too many connections between like the offering plate and financial offering and people sacrificing goats for the forgiveness of their sins You know, like we don't sacrifice goats anymore because Jesus Christ was the sacrifice once for all. And so there's that. David talked about that some that it's different. But that that idea of sacrificial giving of us trying to to honor God by giving up something of value to us. I think that translates. It does. It does. And when you think about all the people that you experience when you're giving something, right? Whatever it is, whether it's giving your time, which is stewardship and, 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 or, or your love, or, I mean, gosh, I've been wearing this heart mask because I just won't, I can't smile right now. Right. And so, well, I mean, I can, but I'm smiling under a mask and they're not seeing it, you know, but it was, I was really intentional about the kind of mask that I, I pulled out and I use every day because I want people to see not as a sacrifice way, but I guess I was intentional in the sacrifice of which mask I could just pull out the black one, you know, or the white one or whatever. But I want people to see God's love in that. And I think that all goes back to this, of how we sacrifice the best of what we have again to glorify God. So we continue on with grain offerings, right? Offerings well-being, sin offerings, and we can talk about these more, but um, so that there are five total um, offerings. Mine says offerings with restitution and instructions concerning um, sacrifices. So that there really is for God, these very intentional places of sacrifice, right? Um, Your burn offering, your grain offering, um, your offerings of well-being, your sins, those matter to God as far as what those offerings look like. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, Leviticus is where we kind of see a nomadic people starting to put down roots. You know, they have the tent of meeting and they, they're setting up more structure, right? Like it's not permanent yet. They haven't built the temple that'll come, but there is now a place. God, I mean, God still dwells everywhere, but rather than them setting up altars along the way as they're fleeing, whatever, as they did in Genesis and Exodus. And now 
they're setting up a place that symbolizes the presence of God, the tabernacle. And with that, they start to define what it is for them as, as the people of God to interact with God. God has required things of them, right? The covenant where we talked a lot about that in Exodus. You can go back and hear uh, when God repeats kind of ad nauseum. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Rest. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Rest. Uh, and and now, right, it's, it's people realizing maybe we don't do all these things. And, and we God is is telling us how we can um, atone, how can, we can be made one, be made whole. And now that there's a place that represents the presence of God, we can bring things to that place. And yeah, and, and there's going to be a whole class of people that help mediate that. We'll get to that next week when we talk about who the priests were and how they developed. Um, but, but we got through all this stuff. Right. And now we're in a place of we're setting up home. Kind of, right? we're 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 establishing our home. Do you want to talk a little bit about the sins offerings? Because sure. I think this is the part that gets a little bit. And, and I think Gordon B says this. And if you don't mind, I'll 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 say I'll read from um, this. It says the sin also purification offering provided atonement for accidental sin since transgression since transgression is not limited to intentional disability, disobedience. Finally, the guilt offering provides a means for making amends. So it's not just about, I think what they're trying to say is, it's not just for like this sin, that sin, this sin, that sin. We bring all our sins to God um, and they're all part of the offering of who we are because we're going to sin, right? And we want to read a little bit from that. But I thought that was sort of helpful to say, We're not comparing one or the other. We're bringing them as an offering to God and saying, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I know you love me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we use language in our confession, those things I've done, those things I ought not to have done. Um, And so we talk about sins of commission and sins of omission. But all of that kind of presupposes that we know we messed up. Right. Right here, God presupposes that we're going to mess up and not know it. And so I don't know how many people I hurt yesterday. I know I yelled at my kids and I need to ask forgiveness for that. But what did I do to hurt people that I don't even know about? Right. How do my actions, right. Am I wearing clothes that was stitched together by people who are enslaved? Right. Like I'm, that's a sin. I'm helping perpetuate that. I don't know it maybe. And so I think, Yeah. And so I think that God is setting that up that we know we did things. We know we didn't do things, but there's a whole things like the the unknown unknowns. Yeah, I think you're so right about that. I mean, and if you think about it in your daily life, we all do that over and over and over again. Um, I thought a lot this week about um, this is just a personal thing. Um, and I'm not sure if this is a sin or not, but it felt like a sin. Um, reaching out to some of my black brothers and sisters after the George Floyd verdict. Um, but I also, it's complicated because I didn't want to put my, my privilege in there either, but also wanted to, um, to offer myself as, you know, thanks be to God that this happened. Um, and how do we do that? And is that a sin that I didn't reach out or I didn't? So, you know what I did? I didn't do anything. 
which is what we often do, right? Because we just don't want to. And I loved your example of your shirt. Like, you know, maybe it was made by factory workers that are getting paid 25 cents an hour. And you don't know that, of course, when you buy it. But then, but is again, God gives this graciousness of, I'm going to give you a place for all your sins, known and unknown. Yeah. And we don't have to dwell on that. You know, back, back then they could offer this sacrifice and it gave them a release from that guilt they were feeling. Um, maybe that guilt that, that was there in that relationship. And, and we, as, as, as hard as it is, right, Jesus Christ has, has made that once for all sacrifice. And so we don't, we are going to mess up. We are going to perpetuate injustice. We're going to do all these things. We can't wallow in the guilt. Um, yeah. We because we know we have to live knowing knowing that we are forgiven. And, I love. I yeah. thank you for that. We can't wallow in it, and I think that's what the confession why the confession of sin on Sunday is so important, and that absolution, which. I know I'm an instrument, but sometimes I feel so funny as a priest being the one doing the absolution because I'm sitting there thinking I'm so full of sin myself. And often I change the words to we versus you because I want to experience that forgiveness as well. And like you said, not wallow in it and move on. And the right of reconciliation is so powerful in that, too, uh, because one of the things with that is you have to truly let it go. You don't get to keep holding on to that sin. And I think that's exactly what God is is including for us here. And there's something that you mentioned, and it's in this sin, you know, four and five. It kind of goes into if anyone sins unintentionally, if a leader sins unintentionally, like there's a different thing if it's a leader. And so that, uh, that stresses me out a little bit. Yeah. There's yeah, a lot because, of, in that. I mean, uh-huh. because those of us who take on a mantle of leadership lay or ordained, if we want to help lead the people of God, there are expectations of that. But, but what, what you were talking about after the George Floyd verdict, you know, chapter five, verse one, If a person sins because he does not speak up when he hears a public charge to testify regarding something he has seen or learned about, he will be held responsible. Mm -hmm. Our failure, our failure to speak out when we see injustice is literally in the Bible, right? This isn't where we can be nice people and mind our own business. Yeah, it's here. And there's God has something to say about it. I'm so glad you pointed that out, because when I do try to point those things out and I don't want to get into a whole long thing about this, but people sometimes, you know, like want to make it political. And I'm always like, it's a gospel issue. Next time I'm going to say it's a Leviticus issue. It's from here in Leviticus five, like that we have, and I'm laughing about it, but I love to be able to point right to it. Like this work and our baptismal covenant and the things that we promised to Jesus Christ that we would do, they didn't come out of thin air. They came from the Bible. And they came from the, the words of God that man wrote um, for this Bible. Um, and I think that's super important. Um, and so that's probably why I do feel guilt that I didn't do anything right, because I know it's within me. Yeah, to and make I think, yeah. And I think back, you know, this past Sunday, the gospel was um, Jesus appearing to the disciples in the upper room. And I, I preached up in Greenville and I need to apologize to those folks because I just kind of vented for 
15 minutes because it was laid on my heart that like something scared these disciples and they were trying to hide behind something. And then God came in and they were compelled outside and whatever they said, when they got outside over the next couple of years, got them all killed. So they, they had a passion for something. And I said, I find doors to hide behind. I find ways it's doors of being proper. It's doors of being liked. It's doors of not causing a stir. Uh, that's not an option. Leviticus certainly doesn't make it an option here. We're commanded here. The Gospels don't make it an option. Uh, the disciples' lives, as they went out and they pissed people off so much that they got killed. Yeah. Yeah. And where, where are we willing to do that as followers of the Bible, of Jesus Christ, of, of all of those things? Where are we willing to put ourselves out there? And it is hard. I don't love conflict. I don't. But um, I do believe I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And I do believe as a follower and a disciple that I'm very called to do this work. And it's changed over time um, and, as I, my, and not just as a priest, but as my relationship with Jesus has grown, it has become stronger in what is this going to work? And I don't like to put a label of political or social justice or whatever. It just is Jesus work. I mean, that's kind of how I look at it now. Um, so anyway, it's very exciting to me that this is in Leviticus as well. It is a great place to sort of turn people back, not in a confirmational, a confrontational way, but let me just remind you, this is right here. You know, if you're unsure of this work, if you can't get there, let me just show you. God put this from the very beginning when he was creating a home um, for his people um, in Leviticus. So, yay. Yeah, and I think, you know, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording. One, I think one of the failures of the church in this regard could be that we actually don't talk about Leviticus. Mm -hmm. It shows up twice in the lectionary. You and I both looked through our children's Bibles. I looked through six of them that I have here. And you go from the golden calf and all this business with Moses and Exodus. And then you go to the walls of Jericho. And so there's like three books of the Bible, including Leviticus. Um, that I guess we don't think are appropriate for kids. I don't, I don't know. Um, maybe there's not fun flannel board stories that you can put up there. It's interesting. I, I told, um, I, 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 I'm flabbergasted by that. And I'm sure listeners, there is a children's Bible out there that includes Leviticus and we want to know about it. If you hear, I, I don't have Bishop Tutu's children's Bible with me. I, I have a feeling that might be in there, but um, if you know of one, let us know. But I, I've told um, Alan, I'm about to do this Bible study on numbers. And one of the things that attracted it to me is that there was this group of women that were the daughters of a particular um, guy in numbers and there were no men. And so they went and advocated to Moses for their father's land and they were courageous and use their voice. So what a great story about women having a voice. Why is that not in children's Bibles? You know, <laughs> like why, why did I not know about it really until I started looking through this Bible, this uh, Bible study about numbers. So there has to be some reason there's, there's goodness in this, even if we don't think of it in, in the happy clappy way that Noah's Ark is and, you know, Joseph, the Jonah and the whale and, you know, all those kind of things. So 
um, maybe that can be something we can work on. Is a children's Bible that includes the <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, but I think, right, like, you know, we started out talking about these five offerings, and that can be real technical, and it's bloody, right? Number one, my kids would love to, like, see a decapitated yeah. bull. Right? Yeah. Like, like, this would be great for a little boy's Bible if you see, like, a a skinned mm-hmm. animal, but, but it can be grotesque and it can sound legalistic. I mean, Levitical, like that whole word means, Oh, you just are a rule follower. You're a whatever, but buried in here in chapter five is saying, if you don't speak out, when you see something, you're responsible, not just, not just you've messed up. You are actually responsible. There is a part of you that is contributing to that thing that happened. And what a great lesson for kids to learn. Yeah. I mean, I tell my boys, I was like, if you see, you have to speak up. You know, my 12 year old's always been really big for his age. And so I've told him, right, you have to understand, like, you are physically strong. And, and with that, you have to be gentle around people and all that. But if you see something happening, you physically can stop it. And so, like, I've basically given my kid license to fight if he sees a kid in trouble because. He has the ability, and with that comes some level of responsibility. And as a Christian, we can point that back to this is your duty. Yeah. Walk up, you know, <laughs> like, uh, or Mary Balfour or Alan or whoever it is, you know, and I think that's a beautiful thing. So when we think about this week and um, sort of our questions for pondering about these um, first seven chapters of Leviticus, what are, what are, what are you going to think about? Uh, I'm going to think, you know, it's not stewardship season, uh, stewardship season, but, but I think we can talk about it year round is what is God calling me to sacrifice? Mm -hmm. Is it financially like we talk, talk about in the church more than other things, but, or is it, I need to give up a part of my life. Do I need to give up habits? Please don't God ask me to give up diet Dr. Pepper. But, but what is that thing that I value too much um, that God's calling me to give up? Yeah, I love that. How about you? It reminds me of, the, of a Diet Coke story that Alan and I had. One of the first times I was around him, I had this stash of Diet Cokes and we were at Camp Gravit and he didn't have his Diet Dr. Peppers. And so every time I see him, I bring him a Diet Coke, <laughs> not to take away from the story, but that was one of our first connections was over diet soft drinks. That's how we knew we'd be friends. Please do not make us sacrifice our diet soft drinks. Um, but I do think you're right of where we can be sacrificial, where we can do that. I think for me, I'm going to try to be a little bit braver when I have those moments of, I, I feel called to do this. I feel called to say this, but I don't want to say the wrong thing, or I don't want to, I want to go back to Leviticus five, um, and really put not that pressure, but that, but that thought on myself. Okay. It's biblical. God wants this of me. To, to point out injustice, to point out the things that don't seem right. Um, and that it's, you know, it's always a revelation. Not everything's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know. And so that's really nice to see this in Leviticus. And a lot of people take Leviticus very, very, very seriously. And so if we're going to take Leviticus very, very, very seriously, we might need to take all parts of Leviticus pretty seriously. So that'll be, for me, what I do this week. Next week, we're having a guest. 
right? Yeah. We're excited about that. A mutual friend of both Alan and us. Um, and we've experienced this person in different ways and um, want some in school and some just as buddies and some just now we're all buddies. So that's a good thing. So we're excited about that. Um, I think that's it, don't you? I think that's enough for today. Okay. Well, as listeners, as you know, we love you, but most importantly, God does. Have a fabulous week.